joy to be with all of you. I've had a wonderful time this weekend in a retreat with so many of your deacons and all of your elders and staff members here. Uh, They are a great bunch of men to be with, and I was inspired by being with all of them this weekend as we talked about things relating to this congregation, to the church at large. And so uh, thank you for your friendliness. Thank you for your hospitality. Uh, Thank you for making this weekend a very, very special weekend. And a very special thank you to uh, the elders for inviting me to preach this morning. And a very special thank you to uh, all of the staff here, David, JP, Andrew, uh, Phil are great men. I don't have to tell you that, but it's really been an honor to be with all of them and to get to know them uh, so much better. Just a moment ago, Andrew led us in the song, uh, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. Uh, let me ask you a question, though. Does that song sound a little unrealistic to you? If you stop and think about it, we really don't usually picture Christians going to battle. Uh, We don't really talk about Christians being involved in war. As a matter of fact, a more realistic picture was a Christian retreating into a beautiful auditorium like this on a Sunday morning just to escape all of the bad things that are happening out in the world. But I want to remind all of us just one more time that there is, brothers and sisters, a spiritual battle going on out there. But for one reason or another, we're not aggressively marching out, but rather we're timidly just seeking to survive. But if there's ever a time in the world today where we need to move on and move out and get into the fray of the battle with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's probably right now in this world. And if you stop and think about it, going to battle usually conjures up a negative image. We don't want to be identified with some militant who shot and killed an abortionist doctor a couple of years ago in Wichita, Kansas, or some cultish leader who stockpiles weapons and wants to overthrow the government. And we've heard from the world probably all of our lives as children of God, you need to keep your religion within the confines of the four walls of that church building. Don't you dare try to impose your values on us. And I would imagine that all of us here this morning would probably agree that there's not a one of us in this auditorium today who would consider themselves a warmonger, but rather you and I are ambassadors of peace. And so what do we mean when we sing a song that says we're soldiers of the cross, that we're going into battle? Just exactly what does that mean in a very practical way to you and to me? Well, as a means of introduction to what we're going to be talking about this morning, there are two very important scripture verse that I want you to keep in the forefront of your mind and in your heart throughout this entire lesson. One is a very familiar passage of scripture, the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 18. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, and I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, obviously, Jesus intended the church to always be, not necessarily on the defensive, but Jesus intends the church, brothers and sisters, to be on the offensive. We usually think about Satan being on the attack and the church just huddling together, afraid, defending the gospel. But if you really stop and think about it, Jesus Christ in this passage really describes the opposite. In essence, he's saying, you go out into the entire world with the gospel, and if you advance right up to the gates of hell, those gates of hell will not be able to withstand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, Satan's strongest fortification will collapse in the face of the advancement of Christ. 
Now, the second passage that I want you to remember is the passage that the young man read just a moment ago in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verses 3 through 5. And I'm going to read it one more time. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, chapter 10. He says, for though we live in the world, we don't, listen to what he says, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now listen to what he says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, obviously, the battle that you and I are involved in is not a physical battle, but rather it's a spiritual battle, and it's not our goal to take captive physical territory, but it is our goal as children of God, soldiers of the cross, to take captive thoughts and ideas and move on and move out in the name of Jesus Christ. But we must, as a church of Jesus Christ, understand that once you and I have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and once individually you and I have been equipped for service, it is our job unequivocally to march out into the world where you and I are to let our lights shine. Listen to me. Service to Jesus Christ is not just church work. This is Camp Julian. Did I say that right? I was warned by the, by the deacons at the retreat, don't you dare call this place Mount Juliet. This is Camp Juliet. The battlefield is the world, and that is where you and I are to advance and take on the fortresses of the devil. Now, here's what I want to do in the first part of this lesson. I want us to do and look at the weapons that you and I are supposed to use. And then a little bit later on in this lesson, we're going to talk about the fortresses or the bunkers that this world has that you and I are supposed to demolish so that we really have a clearer understanding of what our assignment is as children of God and as soldiers of the cross. Paul says, I want you to remember what he says in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. He says, the weapons we fight with are not... The weapons of this world. As a matter of fact, I think I can see two primary weapons that you and I have at our disposal. First of all, we fight with the weapon of the word of God, which is truth. We fight with the weapon of the word of God, which is truth. In John chapter 8, Jesus said that Satan is a liar and that Satan doesn't abide in the truth. And so Satan's army is going to use deception. They're going to distort statistics. They're going to revise history. They're going to quote people out of context. They're going to exaggerate error. They will shred documents in order to gain territory. But brothers and sisters, I want to remind you this morning, we don't fight the way the world fights. We speak the truth. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, you put on the whole armor of God, and the first piece of armor that you put on is what? You put on the belt of truth, and the only offensive weapon that we're told to put on is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The most powerful weapon that we have is the truth of Scripture. It has more power than anything imaginable in this world. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The Word of God, listen to what it says, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and the insights of the heart. 
And so when you move out on the world, you have confidence in the power of the word of God. You have confidence in the power of scripture to do its work. It judges hearts. It convicts of sin. It demolishes the fortresses of the devil. Just the simple truth of God. Listen to the word of God. In the beginning, the heavens and the earth were created. And God created them. Listen to the word of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never ever pass away, Jesus said. And that scripture was so powerful that Satan is intent in removing it from high schools, discrediting it in colleges, forbidding it to be read in public arenas, and even ridiculing it in churches. And when the Apostle Paul went to that wicked but intellectual city of Corinth, he said this in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. He said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so, brothers and sisters, we advance with the weapon of the word of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. But that truth of scripture has to be backed up, listen, with an authentic life. Truth is not something we proclaim alone, but rather truth is also something that you and I are supposed to live. And absolutely nothing will destroy the power of Scripture like a duplicitous life. Nothing will undermine the power of God's Word and nothing will undermine the power of God's Scripture more than a fake. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so if we're to take the truth of Scripture, it always has to be backed up, brothers and sisters, with a life that is authentic. Integrity combined with the truth of Scripture is a powerful weapon. As a matter of fact, St. Francis of Assisi said on one time, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And so our very first weapon is the Word of God backed up by authentic living. But the second weapon is simply a love for people in the world. A second weapon that we have at our disposal is simply loving people in the world. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, the apostle Paul says simply, we speak the truth in love. And let me tell you something, the world fights with hatred. The world fights with nasty words and mean-spirited editorials. The world fights with weapons of physical violence and hatred and guns and bombs and grenades. But the Christian is armed simply with love. Now, on the surface, I know for some of you, that may sound a little weak. On the surface, I know for some of you, that may sound a little ineffective. But in the end, the Word of God says, love always conquers. In the end, the Word of God says, love never fails. 
As a matter of fact, when Jesus was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane, Simon Peter pulled out a sword and he started to attack the arresters. And if you remember that story, Jesus stopped him and rebuked him and said, Simon, you put that sword away because if you what? If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And a few hours later, when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, it must have appeared as if hatred and physical force and prejudice had won the day. But today, when you and I, praise the Lord, look at the cross and the empty tomb, we know that love and spiritual power were the victors on that day. Tony Campato tells of watching Martin Luther King Jr. and his demonstrators march across the bridge in Selma, Alabama. Maybe some of you have seen that bridge. I've seen that bridge in Selma, Alabama. And on the other side of the bridge were the helmeted policemen with their riot gear, and they ordered Martin Luther King Jr. and all of his demonstrators to go back and don't you dare cross that bridge. But if you know that story, Martin Luther King and all of those followers instead knelt down on their knees and they prayed. And Campalo said, when I watched the policemen come in with their clubs and their dogs and begin to bloody the heads of those demonstrators, I knew right then and there that Martin Luther King had won the day. Why? Because submission is always stronger than force. Love is always more powerful than hate. The Apostle Paul says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. A couple of months ago, I was in California doing business for Oklahoma Christian University. And in California, a couple of months ago, if you remember, fights and riots broke out over Proposition 8, giving additional rights to homosexuals in that state. And if I were to tell you what I saw on television and in the newspapers, some of you would believe it, some of you wouldn't, but there were a group of people who called themselves Christians shouting obscenities to people who were not Christians, and there were people who were not Christians shouting obscenities over Proposition 8 to those individuals who are Christians. And let me tell you who loved that scenario in California about three months ago. The press went wild and absolutely loved to broadcast it. But Leonardo da Vinci said on one occasion, he who truly knows has no occasion to shout. Brothers and sisters, if you're really confident in the truth of God, you really don't need to raise your voice because truth is powerful in and of itself and more powerful when truth is expressed in love. And so Christians shouldn't be using guns or angry obscenities or even mean-spirited placards. We simply speak the truth in love. As a matter of fact, Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, for God, listen to what he says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. In other words, you and I aren't supposed to be cowards, but God, he says, has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And so the powerful weapons we have The truth of Scripture, backed up with an authentic life and a deep compassion for people all across the world that's even demonstrated when the circumstances get tough and tense are the weapons that you and I have at our disposal. Now, in the remainder of the lesson, and we're going to go very quickly through it, there are three of Satan's most formidable forces that you and I are supposed to destroy. Here are three bunkers, if you will, that Satan has at his disposal that you and I as Christians are supposed to demolish. And if you're keeping notes this morning, you might want to write these down. Number one, there is the fortress of human pain and suffering. We're to demolish the fortress of human pain and suffering. I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I believe if you really go all the way back, sin brought pain into this old world. 
Every time we suffer, I believe it's the result of some sort of a sin. Sometimes it's our own sin. We smoke three packs of day of cigarettes. We get lung cancer. We get sick. We die. Sometimes we suffer because of other people's sin. A guy gets drunk, hits your car. Somebody gets injured. Somebody dies. Sometimes we suffer only because there are so many germs and viruses and a lot of hurt in this world. But when Jesus was on this earth, he went about healing the sick and cleansing those who were possessed by demons, lifting up those people in this world who were oppressed. And in Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse 8, he commissioned his disciples to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to cleanse those individuals who had leprosy and to drive out all those demons. And the early church began to attack the strongholds of human pain and injustice. As a matter of fact, if you go over in your Bibles to Acts, the fourth chapter, it tells us that there were what? There were no needy persons among them because those Christians who were rich, those Christians who had financial resources, apparently shared all that they had with the poor. And the Bible then tells us that the crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing all of the sick to Jesus and those tormented by evil spirits, and they were healed. And so, brothers and sisters, when we try to bring healing to the physically or emotionally hurting, I want to make sure that you understand this morning that you are attacking a fortress of the devil. When we bring help to those who are hurting as individual Christians and collectively as a church of Jesus Christ, you are attacking a stronghold of Satan. As a matter of fact, that's why so many hospitals hundreds of years ago were started by churches. That's why it's Christians who are the founders of inner city missions to the hopeless and to the homeless. That's why homes for delinquent children and prison ministries are started by Christians. That's why Christians are the first ones usually to show up when there's a tornado or a hurricane. That's why we have support groups that minister to those hurting from divorce or dysfunctional family or those who are battling alcohol or drugs. Do you remember the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew, the 25th chapter? Jesus said that on judgment day, he's going to say to those on his right hand, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now listen to what he says. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and you invited me in. I was a, I was a stranger rather and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the people are going to say, Lord, when did we see you like that? And Jesus says in verse 40 of that chapter, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Jesus says the same as you did for the least of these, you did it for me. And brothers and sisters, when a church like this church begins to attack and try to eliminate hurt and pain in this world, I promise you as I stand before you this morning, you are attacking a fortress of the devil. Number two, a second fortress that we can destroy is the stronghold or the bunker of false doctrine. As a church, you and I are to destroy the fortress of false teaching. Paul says, listen to what he says, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I want you to notice, and I want to make sure that you understand that what a person believes is very important. Don't let anybody tell you that that's not important. 
What a person believes is very important because what you believe eventually produces behavior. And I will guarantee you, as I stand before you this morning, that the devil will do whatever he can to instill false beliefs in the world. And I will tell you that Satan will do whatever he can to instill false beliefs in this church. Because, brothers and sisters, if he can get us to think wrongly, we'll start acting in a wrong way. But the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. Let me tell you something about Satan's army. Let me tell you something about Satan's troops. Satan's army has absolutely no integrity and character whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the Bible identifies them as sheep or wolves in sheep's clothing. Peter put it this way in 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And if there is a time for Christians who need to storm the fortress of false doctrine with the truth of Scripture in love, it is this time in the world. Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. He said, heaven and earth are going to pass away way, but your word will never, ever pass away. Final fortress that Christians in the church of Jesus Christ is to demolish. And that's the fortress of mankind being lost in sin. We're to destroy, we are to demolish the fortress of the devil of mankind being lost in in sin. The Bible, listen, the Bible, brothers and sisters, talks about people being lost without Jesus Christ and without hope in this world. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of preachers and there's a lot of teachers who want to talk about unchurched people. And there's a lot of people who want to talk about seekers. I just want to remind you that unchurched people and seekers are lost people. They're lost. Any way that you slice it, they're lost. Scripturally speaking, people who are not followers of Jesus Christ are destined to hell if somebody doesn't win them to heaven. Now, that's not my idea. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever doesn't believe will be condemned. And Satan, more than anything else, entraps people in sin and enslaves their minds in the stronghold of deception. Oh, now, wait a minute. You're not lost. That's just kind of some theological jargon. Oh, now, really, all roads lead to heaven. One religion is just as good as another. Uh, There may be no heaven, and there's certainly, somebody says, is no hell. Hey, listen, don't get real fanatical on me. But the Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the devil will utilize every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, the Word of God says, and so be saved. And Jesus Christ himself said to his followers, you go out into all the world and you preach the gospel to those people and you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and then you teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And if you look in the book of Acts, 
The early church of Jesus Christ attacked the devil's fortress of lostness and snatched away as many people as they could from the pit of hell. In Acts chapter 8, we read that the early church was persecuted and all but the apostles were scattered and went everywhere. And those who were scattered began to preach wherever they went. And the Holy Spirit on one occasion came to a deacon in the church, a fellow by the name of Philip. And the Holy Spirit said, Philip, I want you to go down to the road to Gaza. And Philip went down that road and he saw an Ethiopian riding by in a chariot reading an Old Testament scripture. Now, let me make sure that you understand. Philip didn't say, now, he's from a different culture. I mean, really, his religion is just as good as mine. Now, the Bible says that he aggressively tried to communicate the gospel to him. And he said, do you understand what you're reading, sir? And the man says, no, I don't. Can you help me? And he invited him to come up into the chariot. And as they rode along, the Bible says that Philip began with that passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. In other words, Philip knew Scripture well enough. He was equipped enough in Scripture. He could tell him about Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian eventually says, hey, here's water over here. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe in Jesus, you may. And the Philip said, I do. And he stopped the chariot. And the word of God says they both went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. And the man went on his way rejoicing. You see, brothers and sisters, you have the Holy Spirit moving in. The apostles moving over. The Christians moving up. And the church moving out to take on the fortress of mankind being lost in sin. How many of you here this morning have ever heard of Coors Beer? Coors Beer. Raise, raise, go ahead. It won't, you, won't, you won't get punished. There's a dynasty of Coors men and women. One of those men is Adolf Coors IV. I will tell you that Adolf Coors IV is destined not to have any of the fortune of the Coors family money. And the reason why he's not going to get any money is because 10 years ago, Adolf Coors IV became a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know what his theology is. We're not going to get into that. I just know that he is a believer in Jesus Christ. And he's written a number of articles about his faith in Jesus and how the rest of his family has basically disowned him. And in one of the articles that appeared in a magazine, he writes these words. This is Adolf Coors speaking. He said, we were with some good friends. And the lady said, have you heard the good news, Adolf? And I, like a dummy, said, no. Are you expecting a child? And she said, no, 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 Adolf. The good news is the two of us have just become Christians. The good news is we learned that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And if we give him our life, he forgives us of our sins. And we're reconciled with God. And I said, Adolf said, boy, we're glad to hear that. You know, we're Christians too. Congratulations on your decision. And then Adolf Coors writes, the woman got a look of astonishment on her face and said, you mean, Adolf, you all are Christians too? Adolf, how could you be content being our friends all these years and never mentioning it, knowing that we were going to hell? I'm so thankful that you're having Mission Sunday. And I'm so thankful you're going to Brazil. I have a big place in my heart for Brazil. I just hope and pray that you're concerned about the people right across the street. I just hope and pray that you're concerned about the people in the next neighborhood. 
I just hope and pray you're concerned about the souls of your fellow students and your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors. And I wonder how many people know you and they've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ and they would say and they would ask, you're a candle? Your purpose is to give light to the world and all you do is go to church and let your light shine in there? Jesus said, you let your light shine that men may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, the very least you can do to demolish all of these strongholds of the devil that we talked about this morning is to invite people to worship services in this congregation so that they can hear about Jesus Christ. We do battle against the fortress of human pain and injustice. And we do battle against the fortress of false doctrine. And we do battle against the fortress of mankind being lost in sin. Now, please listen. Some of you have different hearts for different flanks of the battle. Some of you have a passion for evangelism. Some of you are intellectual enough to do battle against false teaching. Some of you are passionate about alleviating human pain and injustice. I want to make sure you understand you are not expected to fight on every front. But you are expected to choose your battle. And don't be critical of others who aren't on the same front as you. My hope and my prayer, though, is that you'll get involved in the war. The battle, you better believe it, belongs to the Lord. But as soldiers of the cross, you and I are to enlist and get involved. You may be here this morning, and you're ready to give up the fight. You're ready to come to Jesus Christ. And you're here this morning wanting to repent of your sins, wanting to confess your faith in Jesus, that he is the one and only Son of God Almighty. You're willing to be baptized into Jesus Christ to have those sins washed away so that you can join in the fray of winning other people to Jesus. If you need Jesus this morning, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?